Hello, and welcome to the sermon podcast of First Baptist Church of Versailles, Missouri. It is our hope that the following message will help you grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. For more teachings, please visit our sermon page at fbcversailles.com. Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16. People were bringing little children to him in order that he might touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the little children come to me. Don't stop them, because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And after taking them in his arms, he laid his hands on them, And blessed them. When I was a boy, we'd play kickball, soccer, basketball, football, some sport at recess every time. And and every day what would happen is that we would we would all line up and two people would be chosen as team captains, and then those team captains would pick who they wanted on their team. And and you know who they picked. They picked the tallest, the fastest, the strongest, the ones that looked like they might be really good. Those are the ones that they picked. And then, and then we'd all argue over who had to take the last person, and they were going to be stuck with them, right? You know, like, oh, I don't want him. Neither do I. You know, you know, you've been there. You've been there. I will never forget what happened one day when I lined up for the game. The team captains had began to choose their teammates, and uh, our team was what I thought was stacked with the best players that were out there for recess that day. And so I even leaned over to my teammate and I said, this is, this is going to be so easy. We're going we're gonna to win. We're definitely going to win. And the game began and we proceeded to be stomped into the ground by the other team. We didn't just lose the game, but we lost some of our youthful pride along the way. When we looked at them, they weren't particularly tall or strong or fast, but they won. And it reminds me of another biblical principle that's found in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 17, where God tells Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And we usually evaluate other people in our world much the same way that kids do on the playground. Are they cool looking? Are they tall? Are they fast? Are they strong? Are they attractive? What kind of clothes are they wearing? What kind of car do they drive? It's all based on the outward appearance. But Jesus' statements in our passage today strike at the heart of how we view the value and worth of people, Jesus turns human evaluation upside down by telling His disciples that entrance to His kingdom is not dependent on any of the things that we usually judge people by. It's not the things that we usually use to determine their significance and worth and value and whether or not they should be a part of our team. But it wasn't even the first time that Jesus has done something like this, flipping upside down the values of of that day and our day too. 
We've seen it in the Gospel of Mark already many times. After the first time Jesus predicted his death, he told the disciples that they must deny themselves and that whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me and the Gospel will save it. Jesus told them that they had to give up on all of, their, on all of the things that they thought would make God like them and want them and instead give up their life for the Gospel and for Him. And then when they did that, they would find true life. And they would also find life that lasts forever. And then one chapter later, in chapter 9, verse 35, Jesus tells them, if anyone wants to be first, he must be last, and the servant of all. And this means that the disciple is not one who is self-important. It's not the one... The greatest disciple isn't the one that's in charge, that has the most power and authority. Instead, the greatest disciple is the greatest servant. Now, it's likely that this passage that we're looking at here this morning in Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16, it's probably a very familiar one. And many of you probably learned it when you were children. In the King James Version, Suffer the little children to come unto me. And forbid them not, for such is the kingdom of God. That's the way I remember it. But my fear is that this passage has become so familiar to us that we are in danger of missing the point that Jesus is trying to make. And there have been many passages preached by many preachers who have had just as many points about what this is supposed to mean. But I think that many times we have missed the point. And so I'll tell you up front what I think Jesus is trying to teach here, and then we'll look at the passage to find out and make sure that that's true. What I think that Jesus is trying to teach here is that the kingdom of God is for the weak, the vulnerable, the little, those that are helpless and unimportant. And unless we receive the kingdom of God based on those things, we will not receive the kingdom at all. Now let me take a moment to remind you about Mark's gospel up to this point. In the first half of Mark's gospel, from the very first verse until chapter 8, verse 30, all the interactions, everything that happens, all of the miracles, all of the teachings, they're designed to help us see that Jesus is the Messiah, that He's the Christ. And they're all lined up in the way that they are so that it In chapter 8, we will confess with Peter, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then the second half of Mark's Gospel is designed to teach us how someone who believes that will follow Him. And then at the end, we'll exclaim with the centurion who was watching Jesus die in chapter 15, surely this man was the Son of God. Mark wants us to know who Jesus is, And he wants us to know how we can follow him. And then there's this little section in the second half that kind of kicks off the second half that deals with what it means to be a disciple of Jesus and what it would mean to follow him. And there's a three-part pattern that happens three times in that section. Jesus predicts his death. The disciples show they don't understand what that means at all and they don't know what it means to follow Jesus. And then Jesus corrects them by teaching them that following him is going to be costly and that it will involve suffering. 
And we're in that part of the second time that Jesus has predicted his death. And he's explained to them what it's going to take in order to follow him and what it means to be a true disciple. And so all of that together means that I think that the main point of this text has something to do with discipleship or how we follow Jesus and how Jesus wants us to live for him. And so with that in mind, let's dive into what the text teaches this morning. Look back at verses 13 and 14, the beginning part. Jesus, or Mark records, people were bringing little children to him, that's Jesus, in order that he might touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw it, he was indignant. Now, I'm not sure how you've pictured this scene in your head before. Um, how many, are, you, are you the kind of people that can picture things in your head? Like if I said yellow unicorn, like now you have a picture of a yellow unicorn in your head. Who, who's like that? There's some people that can't do that. How many of you are like that? You picture things when they're said. All right, most of you. That's good. You're my people. Because whenever I read this passage, the rest of you are my people too, but just a little bit less. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> whenever I've pictured this passage in the past, I've pictured, I pictured mothers carrying their children to Jesus. Some kind of maybe like children's ministry activity. When I was a youth pastor, we'd bring in celebrities like Casey Wolf and, and people like that. And they'd do events and then the kids would want to get pictures at the end with, with the celebrity. And I think that you know, that's what's going on here. It's a fa- he, Jesus is a famous rabbi, and, and the, the, I picture the mothers going, oh, the famous rabbi's here in town. Let's go, let's go and meet him, and our, you know, he, can, he can touch our children. He can bless them. But I was surprised to learn this week that the, that the word them is actually a masculine them. And this means that it was likely the fathers who were bringing their children to Jesus to have him touch them. And that completely changed the picture in my head about what was going on. You know, I spent a couple of years writing a very long paper in order to hang another smaller piece of paper on my wall that said that fools people into thinking that I'm smart. And I wrote it on this very topic about fathers leading their families in Christ. And I missed this one. So I'm going to get a sticky note. I'm going to write on there and I'm going to stick it right in the book so that that I'll remember it for the future. But it was was likely the fathers here that were bringing their children. It's not, not the mothers. It wasn't some Mother's Day ministry that Jesus was doing. This was... Fathers bringing their sons and daughters to Christ so that he would bless them, so that he would touch them. And it was very common in that day for, for people to do this, to bring their children to the rabbis, to bless them. And so it's not surprising to see parents wanting Jesus, this increasingly famous rabbi, to bless their children. You know, when I was a child, I loved baseball, loved to watch it, loved to play it. And my favorite player was a Cardinals player named Ozzie Smith. How many of y'all remember Ozzie Smith, right? Who could forget him? When he came out of the dugout, he would do flips to his spot at shortstop. And I played shortstop, and so I thought, yeah, that's my guy. And one day, my parents took me to a department store so that I could meet Mr. Smith and that I could get a baseball signed by him. 
And I looked for that baseball. I know that it's in a box somewhere in my shed, but I could not find it. And so I'll keep looking. If I find it, I'll bring it next week and, uh, and you all can take a look at it. But I stood in line for, it felt like ages so that I could meet him. Digital cameras weren't a thing back then. Um, and so if we got a picture, it's buried somewhere deep in my parents' basement. But they wanted me to meet him so that I would be inspired by him and have a memory of him. I think this is what's happening here in our text. Parents are bringing their children to Jesus so that he'll touch them, so that he'll bless them. Go on, Benjamin. Come on, Bethany. Go stand next to Jesus. We'll get a picture. And oh yeah, Jesus, while they're there, just go ahead and say a quick blessing for them. Notice how the disciples react to these fathers bringing their children to Jesus. It says, but the disciples rebuked them. We're not told why the disciples were hindering these fathers and children um, instead of helping them come to Jesus, but maybe they thought they were doing Jesus a favor so that these little children wouldn't be bothering him. They might have thought that Jesus was far too important to waste his time with kids. Children in Jesus' time had no status. They weren't important at all. They were easily ignored, easily pushed to the side. They had no power, no influence. They offered nothing to a family's wealth or honor in society. They counted for nothing. They, uh, a group uh, found, a, they were digging and they found this papyrus letter. It's dated the 17th of June, 1 B.C. The 17th of June, 1 B.C. And it's a man named Hilarion writing to his expectant wife, Alice. And he wrote in the letter, If the child is male, let it live. But if it's female, cast it out. And truth be told, in that world, at that time, you could literally throw children away. And many did, tossing their unwanted babies on the garbage heap. And then wicked people might come by and collect those children that were unwanted by their parents and sell them into human trafficking. I say that because that sounds shocking, but a lot of that is happening still today. Unwanted children are tossed to the side and many stolen into human trafficking. Even the rabbis of that day advised people not to bother with children. However, Jesus' priorities were different. He turned the priorities of the world at that time upside down. Do you remember what Jesus said to Peter as he was rebuking him back in chapter 8, verse 33? He says, You are not thinking about God's concerns, but about human concerns. Your priorities are all wrong, Peter. You're concerned about the wrong things. So it's no wonder that when Jesus saw what the disciples were doing, that he was indignant. The disciples were dismissing the parents and the children. Oh, he doesn't have any, he doesn't have any time for you. He's far too busy to talk to your children. The disciples knew that children had no power or influence. And you know what? Jesus knew that too. But they had forgotten the lesson that they had just learned Just a few verses earlier in our Bible, in chapter 9, verse 36, 
when Jesus takes another child when he's sitting in a home and he grabs up the child and he, he scoops him up into his arms and into his lap, hugging him and he says, whoever welcomes one little child such as this in my name welcomes me. Jesus showed great affection for children. Many times and on many occasions, he loved them and he, he lifted them up and honored them in a way that their society was not doing. And usually about this time, the pastor begins to wrap up his sermon with the moral of the story, right? And the moral of this story is that the disciples were bad and that Jesus was good. Jesus was nice to children. So you should be nice to children too, just like Jesus. Be like Jesus, not the disciples. And then a plea comes. How will you be nice to children in this church? Will you work in the nursery? Will you work with the preschoolers, the middle schoolers, the elementary and high schoolers? Will you, will you say yes to VBS? Will you serve in Awana? Will you help with children's church? Will you speak up for children who cannot speak up for themselves? And while Jesus is incredibly nice to children... And there was no one at that time who showed concern for children like Jesus did. That's actually not the point of what's happening here. He saw children as significant creations of God and he loved them. Yes, Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. But here, Jesus is teaching us a different lesson We know that he's trying to teach a different lesson because he tells us what the lesson is that he is trying to teach. And he says at the last part of verse 14, when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let let the little children come to me. Do not stop them because the kingdom of God belongs to, and pay attention here because this is important, the kingdom of God does not belong to children. That's not what he says, is it? He says the the kingdom of God belongs to what? Such as these. Not to children, but such as these. And then while he has the little ones near him, he says, Truly I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. So when Jesus is there, surrounded by all these kids, because the parents were trying to bring them to him, he turns it into a teachable moment for his disciples. And if... And if we think about this passage, the real question becomes, what does it mean to receive like a little child? Because he says, such as these. And he says, receive like a child. So what does that mean? And I think as adults, sometimes it's hard for us to wrap our heads around this concept. Because for a couple reasons, we think kids are cute and innocent. So you might believe that all you need to do is Stop doing the bad things and start living a cute and innocent life for God. And then you'll be in. But that's not what Jesus is talking about here. Because while children can be cute, they're anything but innocent. And if you think a child is innocent, you've never met a child. Sure, they look all cute and angelic when they're sleeping. But then they wake up and all of that changes. (laughs) The qualities that Jesus is aiming for when he says receive like a child 
are the ones that we might see as less desirable. They are the qualities that will make us be picked last in the game at recess. Children are little. They're weak. They're helpless and vulnerable. They're unimportant. At the bottom of society, children can't do anything on their own. Their parents have to do everything for them. No parent asks their children about decisions that need to be made for their life. The parents just make the decisions for them. They take them to school. They take them to the doctor. They take them to their sports. They take them to church. They take them there. And they don't ask the child, do you want to go? They just take them. They don't get a say. Children are needy. They don't wake up and cook themselves a five-egg omelet for breakfast. They get eggs all over the place and burn themselves. Especially when they're babies, they're totally dependent on someone else providing for them food and to clean them and to care for them. They're totally dependent on someone else. They are helpless and needy. And when we begin to understand that, I think that we can begin to understand what Jesus is teaching. Jesus said that the kingdom of God belongs to people like that. People who are little and weak and needy and helpless. It's for people who have done nothing to deserve it and can do nothing to gain it. It's, for, it's not for the self-important. It's not for the entitled. Nor is it for those who think that they can buy their way in. Or even for the people who do enough good works. It is the powerless. Those that are extraordinarily needy. Recognizing that they are sinful and there's nothing that they can do on their own. That they are helpless to save themselves. Those are the ones that Jesus has in focus here. And that's why he goes on in verse 15 to say, Truly I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. He says that we must receive it. Romans chapter 6 verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We don't earn it. In fact, Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says that what we earn for what we do, which is sin, is death. So if you're trying to earn something from God, what you're really getting is death because of your sin. We don't earn it. We don't take it. It's not a reward because then it's no longer a gift. And we definitely don't deserve it. But we can receive it like a gift if we receive it like a helpless child. The lesson here is that if you understand what it means to be a child, that they are totally dependent, then you'll understand what it takes to enter the kingdom of heaven. And that's really the second reason I think that us as adults struggle with this idea. Because as children, I think that's why many children come to saving faith in Jesus, because they understand what it means to be totally dependent, because that's their entire life. And so when you say you also need to be dependent on God, they go, yeah, I do. I I depend on other people all the time. Of course I need to depend on Him. But then as we grow up a little bit and we 
start to work and get our own money and get our own home. We no longer have to rely on somebody else for, for our roof over our head and we buy our own food so we don't have to worry about someone else for nourishment and, and we buy our own clothes and car and we can go anywhere we want to whenever we want to. But a kid can't do that. You see, like even when the kid goes, I don't need you anymore, and they walk across the living room into their room and slam the door, they're walking across the house that you bought for them as a parent. They're slamming the door that is provided because you have given them a particular room in the house. When they jump on their bed, they're jumping on something that you have spent your hard-earned money and time to acquire for them. And when they get on their phone to text their friends about how terrible of a parent you are, they're texting on a phone that you bought for and pay for the bill every month. They might shake their fist and say, I don't need you anymore, but the reality of it is is that they, they're totally dependent on you. But as we get older, that's what we're doing to God much of the time. We think, God, I've got this. But we don't. In a spiritual sense and in a very real sense, we continue to be completely dependent on God for everything. And this teaching flies in the face of everything that the world thinks gets somebody into heaven. I love the way that Charles Spurgeon explained it. Christ's teaching was not that there is something in us fit for the kingdom and that a certain number of years may make us capable of receiving grace. Instead, his, his teaching went the other way, namely that we are to be nothing and that the less we are and the weaker we are, the better. For the less we have of self, the more room there is for his divine grace. When I was a Boy Scout, we took uh, one of the merit badges was about uh, swimming, life-saving kind of in swimming. And the very first thing that they taught us is that the person who you're going to save is going to try and kill you because they are desperate and weak. And the first thing they're going to do is grab onto you and they're going to pull you under the water. So if you're not careful, then you're both going to drown to death. And so... It seemed counterproductive, but they said, don't jump in right away, or don't, don't go up to them right away. Let them wear themselves out a little bit so that when you grab onto them, they'll stop fighting. And in a very real spiritual sense, that's what we have to do. We have to give up on our own strength and our own ability so that when Christ grabs a hold of us, we're not fighting against it. We recognize that it's not anything that we can do, but it's all about what he has done for us. And that's what the good news of the gospel of grace is all about. Not what we have done, but what Christ has done. Now, maybe you will remember, remember the story of Nicodemus from John chapter 3. He was a Pharisee. He had all the right re- religious credentials. But he learned from Jesus that he could never see the kingdom of God unless he was born again. That unless God did something radical in his life, that Nicodemus would just continue on putting smiley faces next to the good things that he did and frowny faces next to the bad things that he did. And hopes that at the end of his life, he had at least one more smiley face than he did frowny faces. 
And one of my greatest concerns as a pastor is that people will start to think that they have to be a certain kind of person who dresses a certain way, that has come from a certain type of family or background with certain kinds of whatever in order to be fit for the kingdom of God. But it's not about any of that. None of those things matter to Jesus when it comes to entry into the kingdom of heaven. And for any of us who might create a barrier by adding those things for people who might receive the gift of the gospel, we would be as guilty of the disciples as the disciples of preventing people from receiving the blessing which Jesus freely gives. Now I know how we are as people. We always want to figure out, now who am I in this story? And like I said, a lot of people have taught this passage and they said, don't be like the disciples. Or if you're like the disciples, stop being like that. Stop putting barriers and hindering people from coming to Jesus. Instead, help them. Or we want to be Jesus and we say, oh, we were welcoming anybody and everybody who wants to receive that gift. We'll, we'll bring them all in. And those are good things and those are true things that we ought to do as followers of Jesus. But that's not who we are in this story. In this story, we're the children. We're helpless. Totally dependent on God for everything that we need. That's what children are. That's where they land. They know their position in life and they're okay with it. They know that they're completely dependent on their mom and dad. And they're fine with it. And we should be that way with God too. Many people in our world have come to the point in their spiritual lives where they believe that they can take care of their sin on their own. In our text today, Jesus says, I've got news for you. There's no possibility of you entering into the kingdom of God unless you receive it in the hopelessness, neediness, and total dependence like a little child. We enter God's kingdom by faith. Like little children, helpless, unable to save ourselves, totally dependent on the mercy and grace of God. We live by faith, believing that the Father loves us and will care for our daily needs. What does a child do when they have a problem or if they get hurt, what do they do? Run to their mom and dad. Exactly right. And what a great example for us from those children to remind us about what our relationship is with our Heavenly Father. They come small and helpless and powerless, they have no clout, they have no standing. They don't have any followers on social media. Nobody recognizes them or really cares. They come completely empty-handed to God. They literally bring nothing to the table. And it reminds me of the great hymn, Rock of Ages. And in one of the verses it says, Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. And the great thing about empty and open hands is that God can fill them. And that we can receive from God whatever it is that He has to give us. When our, 
when our hands are clenched and our fists are raised to God, there's no way to receive the gift that He's given. But when we recognize our neediness and our helplessness, I mean, think about it. The child who needs their father, what do they do? Daddy, pick me up. I need help. Hold me. I'm hurt. And that's the example for us when we come to our Heavenly Father. I'm nothing. I can't do it. I can't fix it on my own. I need you to, to heal me. I need you to, to, to kiss it and make it better. I need your touch in my life. Jesus says, the kingdom of God is not, is, is not earned, but received. Jesus says the kingdom of God is received like a little child or that it cannot be received at all. Through their total dependence on another, children point us to the way that we can enter the kingdom of God. And I'd like to close my sermon this morning by reading to you what Charles Spurgeon said and how he closed his sermon on this very same passage. Here's what he wrote. Whoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. How I wish all my congregation would come and receive Christ as a little child receives him. The little child has no prejudices, no preconceived theories, nor opinions it cannot give up. It believes what Jesus said. You must come in the same way to learn of Christ. I fear you know a great deal. Throw it out the window. You have made up your mind about a great many things. Unmake your mind and be as wax to the seal before him. A little child believes with an unquestioning faith which makes everything vivid and real. Believe just so. The child believes in all humility looking up to its teacher and receiving its teacher's word as decisive. Believe in Jesus just so. Say, Lord, I am a know-nothing. I come to you to be taught. I am nothing, but you will be my all in all. A child, when it comes to Christ, comes very sincerely and with all of its heart. It knows nothing of sinister motives nor of formality. Its repentance and faith are genuine. I wish you would come to Christ this morning, you poor guilty ones, in real earnest just as you are. Do not play at religion anymore. Do not look for fine words with which to trim yourselves and to make your prayers look neat and pretty. But come as a child does, in simplicity, not ashamed to talk as your heart feels. Come to Jesus as you are and believe what Jesus says because Jesus said it. Take Christ at His word and trust Him. That is the way to be saved. And this morning, if you take Christ at His word, and you understand that Christ died on the cross for your sins, according to the Scripture, was buried and raised again on the third day, according to Scripture, and you reach out to God and ask Him for forgiveness, you will be saved. And maybe this morning you have already done just that. And if you have, this is just a great reminder that we never move beyond our total dependence on God. We might mature in our understanding and our faith, but we are always eternal children of God.
completely in need of him for everything in our life. And maybe you thought, oh, I can take this up. I can take this on myself. And what you need to do is repent this morning and fall back at the feet of Jesus, reaching up to the Father, asking him to raise you up again. Or maybe you've never put your faith and trust in Christ like that. And you've never known the peace that comes from resting in one that is more powerful than you, that is greater than you, that can forgive you of your sins and take away not only its penalty, but its guilt. And this morning, you need to put your faith and trust in Christ. I would encourage you to do just that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word which reminds us that we are completely, totally, and utterly dependent on you for everything. And we ask for your forgiveness because so many times we think that we can do our life and we can deal with our sin on our own. And then we fall into real trouble. And so, Lord, we like little children reach out for you today, asking you to help us, asking you to heal us, asking you to forgive us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of First Baptist Church of Versailles. We would love it if you joined us in person. Our services are Sunday at 1045 a.m. and Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. We are located at 211 East Jasper Street in Versailles, Missouri. For more sermon recordings, visit our sermon page at fbcversailles.com.